Amen. <coughs> How we doing this morning? Good. For those of you who are new, my name's Abby. I'm the pastor here at Haynes Creek. Um, if you, uh, if we thank you for coming. Um, we meet here every Sunday morning. We don't know how you found us. It might have been because you found us online. Uh, many of you just drive down the road. Um, but we are, a ch- we are a campus of First Baptist Church. Um, but we are the church in Haynes Creek. Um, so welcome. Um, this morning we're looking at John chapter 18. For those of you who have Bibles, go ahead and flip to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 32. John chapter 18, verses 12 through 32. And before we begin this morning, I want you to ponder something really quickly. Sin is a theological scandal. It misrepresents God. It tells a lie about God. In the universe where King Jesus reigns supreme, sin is high treason. There is no sin ever committed that is not committed against God. And sin is a rejection of God's lordship. Sin is an act of rebellion against His authority, against His holiness. If I were to come home after a long day, set my whatever I have in my hand, keys, my wife is waiting for us to eat dinner, And I, instead of sitting down, I just go straight to my room, put my stuff, get in my PJs, get in my bed, watch Netflix, and say, peace out. I didn't do anything to her, did I? Or did I? I'm sinning against my wife. In fact, I would say if I did that, that's a statement of how much I prefer my Netflix and my life over my wife. We don't often think about our sin being against God, but the decisions that we make that are not in line with the law of God are always pointed right at God. In some sense, there is, in some sense, there is no such thing as a strictly personal sin. Sin is an idolatrous declaration that we prefer ourselves over God. Therefore, we dare not um, make light of our sin. I'm often, I think I, I stole this from somebody. I know that I did. It's like whenever you hear that, um, and, I, and, I, and I want to be careful here, I'm not making light of um, when this happens, but it's like when you hear that the, 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 the tiger trainer at the zoo got mauled. And we just can't figure out how in the world that tiger went off and mauled that trainer. Well, I'll tell you what it is because it's a tiger. That's what sin is when we play with it. We, we try to cute it up. Oh, it's something I always do. No, 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 you don't understand. That's my personality. No, sin is sin, and the barrel is always pointed at the high king of heaven. This morning we're going to read about Peter denying Jesus. It's, it's shocking, it's staggering when we read it. Because we're like, this guy's been walking with Jesus for three years. How in the world? But if we understand what sin is, and his denials line up pretty good with what sin does. 
It denies God, it rejects His Lordship, and it prefers something else. So, stand, please, for the reading of God's Word this morning. As we go and read from John chapter 18, verse 12. And the Holy Spirit says, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him. First they led Him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That would be John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who had kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one one of his, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said. They know what I've said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's quarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's quarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to them, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Father, this morning show us what a faithless people we can be. Father, that you in order that you might also show us how faithful Jesus is and how grateful and thankful we should be that he, the true high priest, now sits at your right hand. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. What I've done here this morning is instead of taking each of Jesus' three denials, what I've tried to do is I've taken one big portion of Scripture so that what we just read, we were essentially, I want to preach this passage as I believe that John wants us to read it, which is seeing simultaneously what Peter is doing and what Jesus is doing. There is a heavy contrast in this passage we just read. We are supposed to see by John, I believe very much that John wants us to see the faithfulness of Jesus and the sin of Peter. 
And when we watch Jesus before the high priest and before the governor, we can't help but see Peter's sin and Jesus' holiness. Here's my summary this morning. Our deceit and faithlessness should highlight the truthfulness and the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. Our deceit and faithlessness should highlight the truthfulness and the faithfulness of Jesus. Let's read verses 17 and 18 real quick. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming themselves, himself. Now let's read verses 19 and 20 real quick. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So right after Peter lies about knowing Jesus, Jesus is before the high priest and he says, I got nothing to hide. Peter is denying who he is and Jesus is stating very plainly who he is. Peter is denying Jesus and Jesus is not denying Peter. There are a few examples in the book of John that state more clearly the faithlessness of the disciples and the faithfulness of Jesus to His call and His task as the Son of God given Him by the Father. For good measure, Peter's out there standing in the cold next to a charcoal fire, warming himself, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is out there in the cold being smacked by somebody that doesn't think He's the high priest. I think the the word I'm looking for here is uh, dichotomy, maybe. Or juxtaposition, big word for you. If you're in college, always use that word. Good word to use. I don't know what it means, but it's good. When we read this, we're like, this is it? This is who Jesus came up with. This is supposed to be the leader of His church. This is the head of the disciples, right here. Did you miss something, Jesus? You talk about dropping the ball. This is worse than like losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. He hadn't even got out of the Great Commission yet and he's already denying Jesus. Peter is absolutely faithless. He can't even confess Jesus to who? A little servant girl. Why is this waffler, how is this waffler going to lead the Jerusalem church? The reason is this, in Peter, we see every single spineless sinner. The church is filled with Peters, headstrong, impetuous, ignorant. These are the kinds of people for which our Savior died. There is no kind of sin in the world that does not deny the authority of Jesus. There is no kind of sin in the world that does not deny the authority of Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. Men, husbands, when you get comfortable in your marriage and you start taking your wife for granted, you are denying the authority of Jesus whose authority you're called to represent in your marriage. Wives, when you don't submit to the authority of your husband in love, You are denying the authority of Jesus because you are called to depict the submission of the church to Jesus in your marriage. 
When we stretch the truth, we deny the truthfulness of God. When we, show, we don't show grace to our fellow sinners, we deny the goodness of Jesus. Sin is a theological scandal that tells a lie about God. Peter is one of us. Peter is a phony. And what's remarkable is that Jesus, knowing this would happen, knowing that this sin would take place, knowing how impetuous Peter is, how eager he is to slice somebody's ear off, but not willing to stand up merely to stand beside Jesus, Jesus knew all of that, chose Peter and said, I want that one to be my disciple. You talk about grace. When we look at this, we should go, man, that's just... Talk about the drop the ball, but I think at the, the other half we should go, look at the grace of God. Jesus is going to the cross for Peter. Not one sin, every sin. Each of those three denials, Jesus is going to pay for with his own blood. It's not like Jesus got out of the grave. He's like, hey, where are my disciples at? Hey, I don't, I don't. Did you hear what Peter did, though? What did he do? He denied you three times. You, you joking me. He denied me. I never would have gone to the cross for him if he'd known he'd done that. My goodness. No, 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 no. He knew Peter would do this. He knew every sin. He knows every sin you'll commit. If Jesus could give his life for an ear-slicing, God-denying, foot-in-mouth Peter, his grace can save the worst of sinners. That's good news. I'm glad Peter gets saved. Jesus wasn't looking for a college-learned CEO to run his company. Jesus wasn't looking for a five-star recruit who could had a good 40 time. He wasn't looking for someone with a good ACT score. Jesus wanted a sinner who was going to learn His grace the hard way. And I would dare say that when, when Peter emerges from this, no one is more qualified to lead the church. Friends, this morning, if you have stared your own wretchedness in the face, if you have sinned so greatly before God that you almost had pondered whether the gospel was too good to be true, if you have seen your sin and your heinousness before the law of God and thought, I will never measure up. You are exactly where Peter was and you're exactly where God wants you to be. Don't pity the man who sins and hates himself. Pity the man who can't see the evil in his own sin. The gospel calls us to see our faithlessness and to see the faithfulness of Jesus. Isn't this what God does? Who is, what the Old Testament, if you could sum it up, it's that the chosen people of God don't get it and God keeps showing them grace. Is there a more stiff necked people than the people walking through the desert? Is there a more recalcitrant, big word, faithless people than Israel in the desert? No. And then now, in the New Testament, God is doing the exact same thing, except now He's calling His people to look to the cross instead of a pillar of fire. Look at what Peter writes. Before we read this, I want us to read 1 Peter 5, 8-10, and I want you to think about this. The man who's writing this 
is the man who denied Jesus three times. You ready? Here we go. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I wonder if somebody read that and go, what do you know about that? Let me tell you what I know about it. Peter knows God's grace. That's Peter writing this. The guy who denied Jesus three times. God used Peter's sin to strengthen and renew his faith in Lord Jesus. You don't think Peter was on guard for his sin after those three denials? You don't think Peter knew and had tasted the goodness of God after that? I've started doing something new on my iPhone. And that is uh, something I want to suggest to you all. You don't have to do this. This is something um, I've started doing. Some of you might do this. A while back, um, Kelly and I got in, a, got in a, an argument, a disagreement, if you may. And uh, I was really disappointed in myself. And I just couldn't believe how selfish I had been. <clears throat> and after apologizing to my wife, I put something on my calendar on my phone. It's, it's right here. And it is on my calendar every week. And I just put it, and it's uh, called Confession of Wretchedness, is what I put on my phone. Once a week, I make time. Not confession of sin. I wanted it to be another word. I wanted it to be a word that just stood out as just how bad sin is. And the reason I put it there is I want to develop a spiritual discipline in case I ever forget during the week that I'm a sinner. And I want to take time to admit my sin before God and to confess His goodness and truthfulness and to confess my own faithlessness. And my flesh didn't like that when I first put it on my phone. And I'm going to confess to you all right now, the one thought that came in my mind when I put it on my phone, I'm just embarrassed to even say it. I went, hey, what if somebody sees that on my calendar? I thought that. I thought for a split second I was embarrassed to put it on there in case, first of all, somebody was flipping on my calendar. I don't know why they would do that. And I'm, I'm ashamed that I even thought it. And then the Spirit of God was like, so what? If anything, someone could see it on your phone and that would tell them about God's grace. What I'm trying to achieve with that little message on my phone is I want my sin to be as unbearable to me during the week as it was after I had that argument with my wife. I want my sin to be as fresh in my mind as it was in Peter's mind in John 18. And there might be some people that go, oh, I mean, it's a little kind of morbid. I mean, I want to get past my sin. No, 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 no. We don't dwell on our sin, but you never get past your sin. In fact, I would dare say John 18, the life of Peter, the life of the Christian is a constantly coming back, confessing sin, lamenting sin, coming back to trust in Jesus that he will take care of sin. We should fight sin every day like Peter who just watched Jesus die for his sin and got raised from the grave. 
And I want to constantly remind myself of my wretchedness so I can constantly remind myself of the goodness and the grace of God. Confession of sin is imperative in the Christian life. And it consists really of two things. Confessing where we have fallen and confessing where Jesus did not. Because every time I confess my sin, it should point me back to the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' perfection and His righteousness and His sinlessness should shine a great big spotlight on how inadequate and how unworthy we are. And it should foster a sense of gratefulness and worship in our hearts. Jesus never denied the Father. Jesus never spoke less than the truth. He never gave in to anger. And He was always quick to sp- slow to speak and quick to listen. I think it's important for us to understand that God will always be using our sin in the Christian life to draw us back to Jesus and to renew our trust in Him. God will always do that. Um, that's one of the points that I reject. Um, uh, John Wesley. I, I fully reject John Wesley's teaching that in Christian perfectionism. Um, that is, that's, that's heresy in my mind. Love John Wesley. I believe he's in heaven. Um, I believe he got that one completely and utterly wrong. Please don't think that sin is something you deal with at first and then you kind of get over it after a while. No, sin is something that God has designed in our sanctification to bring us back and to help us to savor the holiness of God. Christians are constantly confessing, lamenting sin, and trusting in Jesus to deal with their sin. I put this up to make sense. Justification is the Son of God paying the penalty for sin Sanctification is the Spirit of God breaking the power of sin. I'm going to say that one more time. The Son of God paying the penalty for sin is our justification. Sanctification is the Spirit of God breaking the power of sin. That's an important word. And the reason that's important is sanctification is not Christian perfectionism. I'm not completely freed from sin in this life. But sin does not have authority in my life. Now that I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit and being sanctified and being molded into the image of Christ, I no long, sin no longer has dominion over Abitad. I think that's an important distinction to make. We should have confidence in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, is, it's God. God indwells me now. And so that power is constantly in me fighting against sin so that I can break the chains of sin and He's constantly pointing me back here. So this process is constantly coming back to this event. If you don't know what that is, that's not happening. What's justification? Well, you better. I would almost question if you're a Christian. That's bold to say. I want to be careful. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. If you don't know what justification is, you may not be saved. After years of being a Christian... Peter's denials are no less staggering, but I'm not as astonished at them now. Because I read Peter now and I'm like, man, that is just like my flesh to do something like that. I I haven't denied uh, Jesus publicly like that. But man, I've denied him when I sin against the authority of God. Because what I've learned after following Jesus is even those who have been walking with Jesus for years 
can sin in the boldest of ways. That's why I constantly have to come back to I'm justified. Because <laughs> if I don't have justification, my sanctification ain't going to get me saved. I need the work of the Son constantly in my life to go, okay, I have a foundation. Because if I don't have the work of Christ, my work is not enough to build my own righteousness. I was thinking of a way to try to explain the rebellion of sin, and I naturally came to my children. <coughs> Little rebels. Cute rebels, though. Man, they're cute. Um, and my children, when we're in the living room, Daddy only has one rule, really. I'm almost looking at my wife to see if she knows what it is. And it's, don't stand on the couch. Don't stand on the couch. That's my one rule. I mean, I, I don't know if I got any parents in here who let their kids stand on the couch. Margaret Washington's like, no, no, I ain't, I don't, they didn't do that in my house either. Um, Margaret's house looks a lot better than mine. But I don't like people standing on the couch. Now, you can be on the couch. Just don't stand on it. Now, if they do stand on the couch, when they do, you don't even have to go to your room. Daddy's not going to raise his voice occasionally. But you better get off that couch. No, don't go sit down on it. No, you get off the couch. That's, that's our rule. But the wrath of daddy comes out when they do one thing. It's when they half get off the couch. I don't do the half getting off the couch. No, when I tell you to get off the couch... You remove yourself from the couch. You don't do that half-leg thing and look at me. I don't go down for that. And they'll go... I'm like, no, 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 no. Get. I don't kick my kids. Okay. To a visitor in our home and be like, eh, just let them, they're cute. No, 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 no. I'm the parent and I know what's in that little festering sinful heart of theirs. And they're like, no, no, I'm going to get away with what I can. I'm going to disobey daddy in the nicest way. But it's not nice. They're disobeying me. And they're doing just enough to seem like they're obeying. But they're not. Which in my mind is even worse than just flat out saying no. That small act of disobedience undermines my authority without any words. And that's what happens when we sin. Our sin may not look like Peter's. It may not look as pitiful as denying the Son of God to a little servant girl. We may not have cut off a dude's ear. But when we live the way we want, when we don't forgive, when we harbor bitterness, when we're quick to speak over someone else, we don't care what you have to say, I'm going to stop listening and I'm going to start talking. What we're saying is, I'll half do what you want, God, but I will not submit completely. Our half obedience is raging rebellion before the Lord and it's punishable by death. Here's something to think about this morning. Jesus didn't just die for lying. He didn't just die for anger. He didn't just die for murder. He didn't just die for unbelief. Jesus died for your half-obedience. And mine.
when you were almost kind to that person. When you did something for someone, but your heart really didn't want to do it. When you gave half your day to the Lord, but you didn't give the full day. Our half obedience is the reason Jesus hung on a tree. It wasn't just for Peter denying three times. It was for every single time we confessed Jesus with our lips, but our hearts were far from Him. Sin is an utter rejection of God by image bearers designed to reflect God's character and to represent His kingdom. And while we warmed ourselves next to the fire, Jesus stood out in the cold, facing judgment, being smacked on the face and ready for death. I want to end with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-13. through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we, have also lived, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. I love that last part. If you miss this part here, you don't really know why He does all that. How, how could this... If you don't have that part, you, don't, you, you can't make sense of this. Why does God remain faithful even when we give Him no reason to be? It's because He is who He is. God's going to be God, is what verse 13 says. He cannot deny Himself. Jesus didn't go to the cross because of anything He saw in us. Jesus went to the cross because Jesus is God. Fully God, fully man. Isn't it amazing that if we believe in Jesus, God's love for us isn't conditional upon our ups and downs. It's just conditional upon Him being who He's always been. God. We can count on the gospel always being true because God is always faithful, always loving, always merciful, always kind, always abounding in holiness, always righteous, always true, always good. This morning, the good news of Jesus Christ is that if you confess Him with your mouth and you believe in Him with your heart, that He died for your sins, was raised from newness of life, you have the satisfaction of knowing that God will always be faithful even when you don't give Him an ounce of a reason to be. Even when we're faithless, if we believe in the gospel and put our trust in Jesus, He is faithful. What a gospel that is. That's our Savior. If you've never thought about God that way, I, I, I call upon you this morning, I plead with you this morning to repent of your sins and to believe in that good news. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you've given us no reason not to trust you. You've given us every reason to walk by faith. Every ounce of who you are is unchanging. You're unshakable. In our world, in our flip-floppy faith, in our in our in impetuous nature. We are all Peters. We all speak boldly with our mouths and then we turn away from you and we show how fraudulent we are in our sin. And only by faith in Jesus can you look upon us and say, I'll take it from here. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your son's faithfulness to you. Thank you for your love, your unconditional love for your church. 
All these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.